Hello and welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm, brought to you by Funkinsliff.net. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I'm your host, Scott Dr. Jake Skolfine, musicologist and author of Everything's on the One, the first guy to funk. If you don't have your copy, get on over to Amazon and pick one up. You'll be so glad you did. Whether you're watching the video version of this at Funkinstuff.net or on YouTube or listening to the audio-only podcast version from providers like iTunes and Spotify. As always, I thank you so much for your continued interest and support in the show. Speaking of which, if you haven't already done so, subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube. That's where Truth and Rhythm lives. All kinds of goodies you'll get uh, early premieres, and it's all free, so make sure you sign up. Tell a friend, tell family. Also get your official Truth and Rhythm and Funkin' Stuff gear at the FunkinStuff.net store. Cool stuff like I'm wearing right here, Truth and Rhythm shirts, Show your support and love of the show and also the musicians and the music that they represent. Um, also want to give a shout out to the Funk Exhibition Center and Hall of Fame in Dayton, Ohio, of which I'm very proud to be an official Funk Ambassador. Go to thefunkcenter.org to learn more and keep the funk alive. And now, with all that, it's time to get on with the show. Enjoy. I'm pleased to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm Mothership bassist composer Joe Plass, an original member of one of the 1980s most underappreciated funk bands, Shock. Best known for their hit single, Let's Get Crackin', the group which also featured brothers Roger and Steve Sauce, as well as former Pleasure and later Daz Band guitarist Marlon McLean, who has also reached recently on the show, released four albums in the early 1980s, one in the late 1980s, and a final studio effort in 1994. Among their killer tracks were Let Your Body Do the Talkin', Electrophonic Funk, Loosen Up, Nightlife, Crank It Up, San Juan, Waiting on Your Love, and Time War Our Lives. Plass also played on hit albums by saxman Kenny G, and in 2012 released his solo set After Hours, and he has a new single called Dreamin'. Back in 2007, Shock achieved some much-deserved notoriety by being inducted into the Oregon Music Hall of Fame. Joe, how are you? Welcome. I'm good. How are you, Scott? Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Glad to have you. Where, where are you coming to us from today? Uh, I'm in uh, the middle of Oregon, uh, Bend, Oregon. Yeah, I moved over here uh, just to kind of get away from it all. You know, it's about three hours from my hometown, Portland, and... Uh, Life is a bit slower here, so I really enjoy that. You know, I'm so glad that uh, you're safe and hopefully keeping sane throughout this uh, craziness. And, you know, how have you been uh, kind of keeping your, your head straight through it all? Just like a lot of people, just staying at home, staying safe, 
um, using common sense, uh, going out once in a while. We do because, like I mentioned, I'm from Central Oregon. That's where I am now. There's a lot of outdoor activities that you can do, uh, some camping things that we do, and just to air out once in a while. Well, it'll be a few weeks before this before this airs, and hopefully we'll have better news by then when people are watching this. But uh, so you know, we're going to talk uh, music, of course, and uh, that's what helps uh, keep us sane, as we were talking about, definitely. And uh, the fact that you can play it so well must be an an added boost, you know, to be able to do some of that while you're kind of sequestered, you know. Yeah, it's uh, as a matter of fact, you know, you had mentioned I uh, just released a new single. Uh, and that was one of those things that motivated me to put that out. It's a song I'd kind of had in my system, um, half done for a long time, for like three years. And this, during the self-quarantining stuff, I just digging into some music that I had done and, um, I finished that baby up so that, you know, I had plenty of time to do it. <laughs> I work at my home studio here, and uh, with the help of a couple of friends and long-distance, uh, you know, recording, um, I got it out. So, yeah, that's that's one of the the great things. Blessed to be able to play music uh, is to be able to create and to have home studio, uh, you know, equipment. You're able to kind of express yourself still, and and that kind of takes you away from everything, which is good medicine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, forgive the uh, play on words, but I'm going to try to jolt your memory a little bit with uh, okay. some. Uh, Let's see if that works. <laughs> <laughs> of how of how little Joe first got into into music and and why gravitate towards the bass. Oh wow! I mean, I don't know how much you want me to how much detail you want here, but little Joe uh, started very young. Um, started taking piano. When I was in the first grade, always into music. Um, it's kind of went from there, piano lessons to guitar lessons, and then back to piano lessons again, all through grade school. Uh, and then at that time, I know you mentioned Roger Sauce. Uh, actually, Roger and I grew up within about a block and a half of each other. But we were childhood friends. I actually met him when I had chicken pox when I was three years old, so that's going back. And uh, he had been playing music, and we started jamming together at a very young age. Uh, he, of course, spearheaded all this. I know Marlon and I had watched that video of him, and, you know, Roger had this incredible music energy. And as friends, man, I just wanted to get with him and do something, and we were creating all the time, mostly him, and I was pretty much learning from him. Uh, a lot and uh, so you know block parties in the neighborhood seventh eighth grade that kind of thing and one thing led to another uh, we played in a couple of bands uh, during high school and uh, that's kind of then shock evolved out of that it's uh, a whole nother kind of story but uh, that Roger was wanting to do and uh, then I got it that and away we go. Who who are some of your biggest uh, bass influences? Would you say? I, I started listening to Stanley Clark when I was very young. Uh, Stanley Clark, Alfonso Johnson, and then um, of course Jocko, and then uh, 
later on, I jumped into a whole bunch of Marcus Miller stuff, and he's totally, I just, you know, of that that dude and, and his feel and his tone and how he, you know, how he uh, writes and arranges. He's amazing. So those guys pretty much. And then when you get into the funk stuff, uh, Larry Graham, uh, Verdine White, those guys were a big part too. Mm-hmm. And so would yeah. you say also the music by those guys or were there some other uh, types of music and musicians that also uh, were favorites of yours? You know, growing up, you know, there were six kids in our family, so there was all different kinds of music going on. Uh, I'm second to youngest. I got influence from everybody. Jeez, uh, you know, Led Zeppelin, <laughs> uh, you name it. Uh, I was into all those guys. Hendrix, um, geez, let me try to get some names out here. Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, that kind of stuff. But then at the same time, I'm listening to Tower of Power, Graham Central Station. Jeez, uh, you know, and, and Earth, Wind and Fire was just huge. And uh, so it was just a blend. And I also listened to a lot of The Temptations when I was very young. I had a brother who was into The Temptations, uh, Smokey Robinson, The Supremes. All those people, I would literally sit with headphones on in the corner of our living room behind this one chair where we had the stereo. I would plug in the headphones and listen for hours to all that. And so, it, I mean, I took it all in. And um, of course, kind of musically for me, what came out was primarily R&B music, uh, you know where how I express myself it wasn't anything I planned it just kind of happened so what was the precursor to, to shock basically the precursor to shock how that evolved how that started uh, it's all Roger you know um, this was his idea he had formed a band I think it was in high school uh, which right towards the end of high school, which was kind of where Shock started. Um, I was not in the very original first band. It was actually the bass player was Danny Wilson, who we went to high school with, who was later uh, Jeff Lorber's first bass player mm. on some of his earlier stuff. Um, but not too long after that, then I got in that band, and um, we would just play rehearse and play around town, it kind of started to evolve. There were two or three different versions of the band early on. Um, different singers, different drummers, that kind of thing. Um, but we, you know, we would just gig around town and, and then there was some interest with, uh, uh, we decided we, want, we had a manager in, in Portland who wanted to put us at a show, do a show at the Paramount Theater, which is now the Arlene Schnitzer concert. And so we did that. We rented that venue. I believe that's how it goes. Don't quote me on this. This was pretty much a Roger thing. I'm just trying to remember. But uh, anyway, uh, long story short, we did a show there that we put on. We had a good crowd. And in the audience was uh, Marlon and uh, David Lycan. Those two worked together. Um, and so they showed interest in this. Uh, we also at that time had put out a, uh, a 45, uh, just uh, 
called the song is called Shock, and um, then later on on Nebula Circle uh, Records, which was just a local record label, uh, we did you know our own uh, LP, and that was recorded locally and put out by us. And that's what kind of stirred the interest, along with that concert and meeting with David uh, Lycan and Marla McLean. And uh, they then, in turn, shopped us to Fantasy, which ended up getting us the deal. What What was um, the chemistry of that group like early on? And, you know, were you also yeah, were you playing covers as well as those originals and... Yeah, I believe we were playing some covers. Um, man, don't ask me to name what those were because I can't remember. But I think we did do some covers along with our original material. Um, and the, and just the vibe with the band, there was a lot of people. I mean, there were 10 of us. We were all young. We were all crazy. We all had a lot of energy. And Roger had the most energy of all of us. And we just kind of followed that lead. And it was a it was a crazy ride, you know, but we all managed and we all got along. A lot of us are still friends today, um, so you know. But yeah, it was it was a it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. What what were like the aspirations at that point? You know, when you were just doing that first uh, indie label. I mean, did you think, hey, this could be a career for me, or maybe it's just a lark, or what? Totally. Uh, you know, I think all of us thought. We want to get a record deal. We want to make it big. You know, this is going to be what our life is. I mean, we all, you know, we're young. And, and anybody who is, you know, wants to get into the music business, you know, especially then, uh, things were a little And uh, we were motivated to want to, you know, be a success and compete with, you know, the big leagues. So we all want to get a record deal and, and just go in from there. And... and did you feel like Roger had a, a sense of the type of, you know, sound he wanted the group to have, you know, did, oh, yeah. Oh yeah. What kind of sound yeah, was that? Because I mean, on that first record, it's, I mean, uh, the backing vocals are, are very prominent and, and interesting and the, and the horns are very prominent and, you know, it's got a very polished full sound right, right out of the gate, really. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it Roger has his own sound. He definitely has just his thing. A lot of energy, a lot of funk background, great feel for that. Uh, but we were inspired by, you know, like Earth, Wind & Fire for the vocal things. You know, that was something that we kind of wanted to measure ourselves against. Um, and then we had the horn section. So that was really cool, too. And I think a lot of us all at that time were also influenced by uh, Tower of Power. Um, and so it was just kind of a, a mesh of those influences along with Roger's vision and just the way he felt music. It was, it, it had his stamp on it, you know, so, um, I don't know, that's kind of it. <laughs> and he's, he was a keyboardist. Did he play other instruments as well? No, he was primarily a keyboardist. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he could play bass, you know, some and some guitar. And him and I used to, because we knew each other very well. I mean, we he had a very good ear, so he could pick up something and 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 kind of pick it apart and figure it out on a guitar or a bass or something like that. But he was definitely a keyboard player. 
I want to point out on that on that record. I mean, Shock was hot funk right there. You know that that track. Um, and um, how did you come? How did how did Roger or how did the band come up with the uh, group name? I don't honestly remember how he came up with that name. You know, that was just something Roger came up with. I think it just came in his head. He was idea guy. I mean. Things would come up, and he would just sell it right there. Just, this is it. This is what it should be. This is a great name. I mean, that's kind of my take on it right now. Um, but I honestly don't know how he came up with that name, you know, initially. Uh, the Dog. Do you remember that one? That one's pretty funky. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's old school stuff right there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Dance and Have Some Fun was a little more disco-y. Um, right. And uh, nightlife was kind of disco funk, and you know, did you guys uh, feel like you were um, trying to go very commercial, or trying to be more independently creative, or uh, you know, a mix? Yeah, you know, back then, I mean, I I don't think we worried about it as much as we just wanted to be our own sound. I mean, there was that overall umbrella of wanting to sound kind of what was happening at the time in, you know, R&B. Um, but at the same time, having that, you know, originality, our, our own thing, you know, the distinctive shock sound. And um, so, yeah. That's... So, so, so Marlon came, he was impressed, he saw you guys, and he got you a, a deal with Fantasy. Um, how excited were you guys when when that news came down that was very exciting i i i uh yeah again <clears throat> it's like the biggest thing in the world to a kid who's in their early 20s you know uh you invest a lot of time in it you know you dedicate it i mean i was you know i was living in the studio roger and i would be practically spending the night doing stuff and creating things um so to have that happen you know, you're on top of the world. I mean, it's, it's awesome. Feel like you got there, you know, you've been recognized. And you redid several of the songs or they, they were they just pulled over directly or you re-recorded some of those? Um, there's, you mean on the 30th anniversary CD, Shock Aftershock? Um, well, I know or from that, the independent record, some of those tracks were carried over to the fantasy. Oh, right. Like, so, so Nightlife, that song was on the original album, but it was a completely different song. We redid it and just named it Nightlife. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head what the heck else was on that, you know, electrophonic funk record. Um, other than The Dog, you said. Uh, I, I just don't recall off the top of my head. Well, I think you guys redid Shock as well, right? The track. No, no. The song Shock... You know, if it was on the original Electrophonic Funk CD or uh, LP, the only other time I remember that song was on the 45, the single. Um, but here we go. You know, I'm drawing a blank on this stuff. It's been so long. I can go upstairs and get the LPs and look at them. <laughs> I'd have to take them off the wall. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's talk more in depth about that uh, major label uh, debut uh, in 1981. 
Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the world is coming out of the disco craze pretty much and moving, uh, you know, into the 80s yeah. with uh, more of a polished uh, R&B and funk sound. Um, and, you know, when I when I listen to Shock <clears throat> from that era, Joe, I think of, um, you mentioned Earth, Wind & Fire. One group you didn't mention that I kind of think of a little bit is Heat Wave. Just sort of that, oh, wow. you know, combination of... of song savviness and um mix of a little disco and the funk and a little pop and yeah that's uh, yeah that's true i I, you know i never thought about that it's just everybody's got a different perspective on those things what they hear um of course who didn't love heatwave they were great um but yeah i you know now that you mention that that's true that there is some parallels there but I also hear things like uh, influences like the Jacksons and uh, Chic, you know. And oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, all that stuff was of the time, so that there there definitely are you know flavors of those guys in there too, um, for sure. It's weird when I go back and listen to that stuff. You know, I just go wow. You know, it's uh, so. <laughs> it was amazing that the amount of production that you put into it, basically the way things were recorded then and for a long time uh, before digital recording. It's just, you know, hours and hours of coming up with ideas on the spot, but then to execute them and get them on tape is, it, it, it's really, you know, intense. And, uh, but it's like a lot of things, you know, that's, that's the old school way of doing it. And to me, a lot of, you know, yeah. As much as I'm sucked into doing it the easy way now, um, compared to that, you know, there's nothing better than that old school uh, way of of uh, writing. Uh, you know, uh, collaborating. You know, you're you're on the spot on the moment with the people. It's real time stuff with the people, and I think that's where the best music has come from. You know. Yeah. So definitely. yeah, just listening back to it all is just a trip to me, and and how we created it. You know, it's funny. I don't I don't analyze the music itself as much anymore because I've heard the song so many times over the years. But I look back and I think about the process of how it was done, and like I just said, just the hours put into doing it and the people's uh, personalities. There were people, you know, in, you would spend a day in the studio doing something like cracking horn parts. And the horn section, you know, they're writing most of the parts, you know, with collaboration of ideas from Roger, you know, but it was mostly the horn section that would come up with ideas, and then they would just kind of try it out, you know, when we're tracking stuff, but manipulate as you go along, and just everything is molded right there, and and uh, that's just so awesome to think about how, how that happened, you know. Yeah, well, on the... Uh... The result was so was so great, and it's enduring, you know. Um, yes. Here we're here yeah, talking we're, about it. So. That's right. It's amazing. <laughs> um, what 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 did you feel like Marlon brought to the the mix? Um, you know, how did things change, and what did he bring? Well, we needed somebody from the outside who had experience uh, to kind of help guide us through the process. Like I said, there were 10 people. You've got, you know, writers and co-writers on different songs. 
Uh, it's great to have one guy with a good set of ears who has that background, who we all really looked up to at the time and, and still do. But I mean, you know, who could kind of ground us and, and keep us focused um, on the production end of it. And then on top of that, you know, the guy's a great player and he's got a great feel. And that, in turn, is another musician who brings something different, which blossoms, you know, what blossoms out of that are other, you know, us reacting to his playing. Uh, and so things change and, and become better. And, and so uh, he really he really helped kind of keep us focused and, and uh, to get, you know, from the starting point to, you know, the end of a, of a song, you know, in the studio, but just mostly all production stuff, and then on the business end, too, so it, uh, that's what he brought to the table to me. I learned so much from that guy, you know, he's a great professional guy, very level-headed, easy to listen to, I could just, for me personally, you know, it, it was a really good learning experience. Uh, I grew a ton. From, from that guy and his professionalism. So that's what he brought to the table, I think. And for me, definitely. Yeah, well, it's a lot to bring. Um, I was yeah. gonna say consummate pro, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Were, were you guys uh, pleasure fans? Oh yeah. Pretty much anybody in Portland was a pleasure fan. You you were. <laughs> Just to happen. I started out, I mean, when they started, I, I had all their albums. I listened to him repeatedly. Uh, Nate Phillips, bass player. Uh, you know, like a lot of kids in Portland, bass players still, you know, y'all wanted to copy what he was doing. Um, so, you know, it's just a testament how great they were. All great players, super tight band. Um, awesome. So, yeah. I've heard that <laughs> Fantasy was, you know, a very familial atmosphere and just a, a nice place to to be signed to yeah well i mean for you know marlon and uh david like and those guys had been working with them already and for us to get signed it was kind of a smooth transition um and uh you know my experience of going down there and recording uh, was great and um yeah it was it was pretty laid back and um you know just kind of took it all in um, you're at that time when you're just getting into that whole thing, you're, you know, you're a little nervous about the whole thing, but it was, it was a great experience. So, yeah. Did, did you think that, uh, let's get cracking would, would hit like it did? Did Roger feel like it would? I mean, what was the sentiment around that album? Did you, did, did you think that would be the cut on the album? Yeah, I, I think so. I can remember the moment, I think, when that hook was created. And it's one of those things when you're creating. <clears throat> the hook is the key. If it's something that just doesn't leave you and you have to repeat it over and over again, you know you're on to something good. And it was just a marriage of the, the roof and the cracking, let's get cracking thing. And then uh, Malcolm rapping over the top of it. It just fell together. It was one of those things that you just go, you know, this this thing's going and you know it's pretty exciting you know this we were very amped about it so yeah i think we all kind of felt this was going to be something special 
and when it did sort of blow up, um, you know, how, I'm sure you guys were as excited as you were about getting signed initially. I'm guessing. Yeah, no, we were. And, you know, all the news was always positive about it. Um, I wasn't so connected with the business end of it is uh, business end of it uh, as uh, Roger was with, uh, you know, Marlon and those guys. But it was it was a great ride. You know, it was just really fun. And to see the charts every once in a while and where we were going on the R&B charts was just incredible. Did, did the TomTom uh, Tom Club, Genius of Love, have a little influence? Were you guys listening to that around that time? Wow. The, and the, the keyboard. I mean, I know I listened to them, but it wasn't something I was going, I got to listen to them right now, you know? I don't know, to be honest. It's just the keyboard. The keyboard part uh, brings brings to mind for me. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to check that one out. I <laughs> again, that's been a long time, but I'll see what you're. I'll, I'll check it out. Yeah, you're talking to. I was a DJ for all those years, so I was always playing. Oh wow, tracks you know time. all that stuff. <laughs> so okay. Um, do you remember uh, the ballad on there? Each and every day. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I felt like a little confunction, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I was there for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that was a great tune. I'm trying to remember who wrote that song. Uh, was that Steve Sauce or? It says Roger. Roger wrote each and every day. Okay. He's, yeah, on here it says he did. Okay, well he then he did. Um, great song. I think Billy Bradford was the lead vocalist on that one. And um, or was that Malcolm? Yeah, I, I, uh... no, that was Malcolm. Pretty sure it was Malcolm. And then but, stand up, um, right? You know, good funk pop right there, and that's me singing that song. Really? Yeah. How'd you feel about that? I was excited, man, Roger. And you know, I got to sing. I got I got to sing lead vocals on this thing. I it was crazy. <laughs> so yeah, I felt good about it. And uh, you wrote? Did you write the lyrics on that one? You're My down name as a writer. Is, I'm down as a writer, yeah. yeah. Uh, baseline, probably I created that. I probably had something to do with uh, something to do with the uh, lyrics on that. Well, another influence we didn't mention, but I mean, I think it's pretty evident in a track like "Let's Get Cracking" is uh, P funk. You know? Yeah, yeah. We always dug some P funk, totally. And Roger uh, was killer on those bass lines man he could he could he could do that stuff and uh it was so much fun to, uh, to listen to all that and uh there's definitely that influence in there for sure so when that, so when that succeeded how did it change your your guys lives in terms of you know were you uh who were you touring with at that point and that kind of thing there wasn't a lot of touring to go, going on, to be honest with you. I, we really didn't do a lot of that, you know. I, I got, I'm embarrassed to say, we just didn't do a lot of that. I think we went down to Oakland, I know, once, did a show down there. We went to Texas, did a few places there. But, um, and we did a lot of stuff up in Seattle. 
because we were close. You know, the Northwest thing was kind of a back and forth doing that all the time deal. But other than that, there was not a lot of uh, time or money invested in touring. I honestly could not tell you to this day why that was, but uh, that would be for someone else to tell you. But, uh, yeah, we just didn't do a lot of that. Do you have any idea of the sequence of events? I'm not sure I asked Marlon or not, but, you know, Pleasure, their last record came out in 80, I think, and then you guys were in 81. So did he part ways with them and then get with Shock, or do you remember how that happened? Uh, I don't know. I you know what happened between them. It's there are a million different stories. I'll put it to you that way, and I don't know which one is right or wrong, and I don't feel my place to even say anything about it. <laughs> you know, fair enough. No, I just yeah. It's Marlon. I think you know we we he was with uh, you know the uh, Mac Man Music and uh, Double T Productions, which was David Lycan, and that was kind of their thing with Pleasure uh, early on. And then I think Marlon kind of was out of Pleasure, but still with David Lycan and Double T. And then they kind of were looking for artists, and that's when they kind of the interest came to Shock, and that went that way. But as far as how one thing led to another with Pleasure and Marlon and us. I don't know. You know, I don't know how that all went down. <laughs> Fair enough, Joe. Yeah. Well, those those shows that you were playing locally, though, did you notice that maybe people started knowing the songs better? Or oh yeah, yeah. No, we were we were very popular, you know, and we would we would pack these clubs we played at. And again, I mentioned earlier, there are different versions of the band. Um, for the first two albums, I think the 81, you know, Let's Get Cracking and all that, it was the 10-piece band. And we did shows around town, but whenever we played, there was definitely a huge buzz. I mean, and we did outdoor stuff at parks and things. You know, there were big summertime concert deals, and we would pack those things. And uh, we were definitely, we had a good buzz going in town. Um yeah, I'm just trying to think of anything else that was. I kind of lost my train of thought there. What? <laughs> where were we? We were talking about the local shows and the reaction. Did Did you get to play? Uh, did anyone come to town that you guys got to play with? Did you get to meet anybody oh, yeah. so, that you were kind of excited about meeting? Totally. So we played with. Uh, we opened up for James Brown at the Civic Auditor Civic uh, Auditorium. Uh, we opened up for uh, Gladys Knight. And we opened up for, uh, we did Tina Turner shows. We did a couple Tina Turner shows. Uh, that was right when she was coming out with What's Love Got to Do With It. I mean, it hadn't even come out yet. She had recorded it, but it wasn't out yet. And um, so, yeah, those were amazing. That was, uh, we did stuff with, uh, we, we were the backup band for Lenny Williams, who was just out of the Tower of Power thing, you know, a few years before that. We did a couple of shows being his band uh, in Portland. Those events were like for uh, Adidas or Avia shoes or Nike or something. And so that was cool. And uh, trying to think if there's anybody else that we opened for, people that we met. Um, but those were the big ones right there. Those were the biggies, you know, that at the time. That was just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. 
did you prefer uh, being on stage or in studio? Um, I liked it both for, for separate reasons. I mean, on stage, there's nothing better than looking out, seeing the people and the energy. When you do something that make pe makes people react and makes them happy, and there's nothing better than that. That is, to have that gift of music, it makes you realize that you have a special gift when you can give it to other people. And you can spread that on to other people, and it makes them happy and forget about whatever else, because music, you know, it's just... It's, it's so powerful that way. So live, that portion of it was great. Uh, I love that part of it. Uh, as far as in the studio, it's just like a 50-50 thing. But in the studio, the creativity uh, is just the best part for me. And it is still today, you know. I don't play live. I don't do any of that. But I, if I get an idea in my head, I, I'll, I'll, I'll hum it in my iPhone. I'll, and then later on, I'll go up and I'll start tracking some ideas and figure some things out and then I'll put it away in a vault and I've probably got a hundred, two hundred things like that, you know, that I do. So the creativity part of it uh, is amazing to me. Um, but yeah, performing, it's, there's no, there's nothing you can't explain. You know, it's an energy that is just it's a give and take thing. It's just, you're giving it, they're giving it back to you. Oh, they're taking in what you're doing. And uh, it's great. I'm addicted to it for life, you know. Once you do it once, there's no going back, so. We'll